Time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? You lucky team, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm Dr. Jonay Caldoun. We know that COVID-19 is spreading rapidly across Michigan right now. The most important thing people can do to protect themselves is social distancing. That means unless you are a critical infrastructure worker or going out to get food or medicine for your home, you should be staying at home. Stay home, stay safe, save lives. I know this is a really hard time for everyone. We're facing a killer virus, economic pain, and all the frustrations of being cooped up at home. Believe me, I have two teenagers to deal with. But the worst thing we can do is let up now, triggering a second coronavirus wave that causes more death and economic chaos. What you're doing is working. You're saving lives. So let's all hang in there and please stay home and stay safe. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Ground control to Major Tom. Ground control to Major Tom. Take your protein pills and put your helmet on. Ground control to Major Tom Commencing countdown engines on Check ignition and make God's love be with you Today, oh, here 
my tin can Welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the second hour of our three-hour tour. I was expecting to uh, talk with Mark Rank, who is uh, one of the authors of a, uh, a new book called Poorly Understood, What Americans Get Wrong About Poverty. And uh, we have not been able to connect with, um, with Mark. So, instead, I thought we would spend this hour with uh, a little hat tip to the... Uh, Mars rover that just recently landed, and we're going to talk with uh, Amy Shira Title, who is um, is commenting on how people, if they were 
more like astronauts, they could be better prepared for COVID. And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and my guest this hour is uh, a spaceflight historian, public speaker, popular science writer, and the author of a new book called Fighting for Space, Two Pilots in Their Historic Battle um, for Female Spaceflight. And uh, she has some uh, astronaut-tested tips for navigating the unknown, overcoming fear, and surviving a pandemic. And... Um, Let's see, I had it right in front of me, and now I don't. Um, her name is uh, Amy Shearer Title, and she joins me by phone. Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Let me ask you the, ab- about the book first. Um, yeah. This, uh, this book, Fighting for Space, Two Pilots and Their Historic Battle for uh, Female Space Flight. When d- did or does that come out? It came out in February, so it is already out, available wherever books are sold and how whatever medium you like to consume your books. Um, so, you know, right right before the world shut down. I, I, I you know, I, I said it was, it was a new book, but, you know, stuff that happened in February, then everything stopped, so it is kind of a new book. It's, this is a tough time to, to have a new book out there and be trying to uh, promote the book. It has been. It's been a very interesting challenge. I mean, we, we, we all know how 2020 has been, and it's been sort of surreal to have a, have a career that's still trying to, you know, thrive a little bit amidst everything that's going on. So it's been, it's been interesting. We'll say interesting. Um, interesting's a good word for it. I recently heard somebody <laughs> referring to something as having been 2020 <laughs> I think it's only a matter of time before that verb becomes, you know, a legitimate, you know, Oxford Dictionary approved term. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, but the book, Fighting for Space, uh, Two Pilots in Their Historic uh, Battle for Female Spaceflight, does this tie in any way to something I was sort of paying attention to a while back about the possibility of two women spacewalking at the same time? Um, not really. <laughs> not, not only insofar as uh, it is a female heavy book about women kind of breaking barriers in a male dominant field. And, you know, the, the book takes place between about 1912 and 1964. Um, and, you know, it's, it's kind of stunning to go back to these pioneering pilots of the era who were breaking down so many barriers for themselves and see how many barriers are still up for women in certain uh, certain fields and aviation aeronautics and astronautics is still a very male male dominant uh, world and and even in the uh, in the field of space flight uh, history yeah there's uh it's <laughs> I, I mean it is it's a very space skews very male um it's you know i think a lot of it is generational the the astronauts, the most visible part of the space program, you know, there were women involved, but the most visible part was the astronauts, and it was an all-male core. And, you know, that, that decision is, all, is kind of where, where the book comes to a head and what made the right astronaut at the time, and why couldn't it be women? And it just, you know, it, it inspired a generation very differently, and, and, you know, young boys seeing themselves represented in the astronauts, I think, kind of led to a generational shift that it took a while, you know, until we got Sally Ride and Eileen Collins going up and, you know, commanding missions finally in the 90s that 
women started to see themselves represented in the astronaut corps. Well, and we, and we saw that too with pilots and, and other occupations, but yeah. but especially with astronauts, because that was, um, historically, that's been such a macho thing. Uh, you know, you talked about young boys looking up to astronauts. Being an astronaut was being a boss. Yeah, <laughs> especially especially in the Apollo era. I mean, it was the first three groups of NASA astronauts were exclusively military experimental test pilots. I mean, there is no there is no higher uh, higher peak on the on the totem pole or, or top of the pyramid to use Tom Wolfe's way of describing it than being a military test pilot. I mean, you're flying the the most um, the, the most cutting edge, but the most dangerous things you are doing things that no one else has the ability to do. And you're doing it all the time while you are drunk still from the night before. There are stories of test pilots, you know, <laughs> still feeling the night before and went up to break the sand barrier. And you're thinking like, is, do you need to be doing this? Or are you doing this because you can get away with it? And it's such a, you know, especially in the 1950s, this kind of post-war explosion of technology makes the era so fascinating. And we're seeing these advances coming out at such a rapid rate that these guys just happen to hit it at the peak where not only is the job the most macho thing you can do, the technology you're dealing with is cutting edge like we've never seen because of that explosion. You know, there's still, obviously, there's still new technologies coming out and there's still, you know, experiments to be done. But, you know, breaking the sound barrier for the first time, that's, that's something that you can only do once. Yeah, that's true. I remember feeling really special when I uh, I once mowed my lawn with a riding lawnmower and a hangover. <laughs> I don't think that's quite yeah. in the same league, but uh, but you know, I have friends that you know their thing, and in, in usually in college was after a night out to go for a five mile run to prove that they were masters over their bodies. You know, that's a <laughs> that's a thing. Um. I mentioned that you have some astronaut-tested tips for navigating the unknown, overcoming fear, and surviving the pandemic. We mentioned the the pandemic sort of parenthetically as it impacts doing things like releasing a book. But um, how do people manage to to feel safe or more importantly, how do we how do we get back to normal? what What does the new normal look like? I mean, I don't think anybody totally knows what that new normal looks like or when when it's going to be. You know, everyone's saying the end of the year, you know, things will be done. But it's not like it's not like pandemics come with a time limit. So um, when this all, all hit, you know, my just because I spend so much of my time dealing with spaceflight history and reading up on astronauts and how they approach things, I started to see some parallels in how, you know, we were going through quarantine just like the Apollo 11 astronauts went through quarantine. So, um, you know, what did they do and how did they survive it without going crazy? And what can we take away from that? And the longer it went on, the more I really started thinking about, okay, this is actually not unlike that in- initial leap into space because no one knew what was going to happen to an astronaut. You know, your eyes might distort and leave you unable to focus in space. You might not be able to swallow, so you starve, you know. There were so many unknowns, and everything became best guess on how to survive it. And we're all kind of in a a much less, you know, I don't want to say less dangerous, but a differently dangerous. We can still breathe the air outside. That's a good thing. Um, A differently dangerous thing. Trying to everybody do it on brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you are listening to the Tom Sumner Program. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Thank you, and thank you all for tuning in. You know, we know that tough times don't last, but tough people do. We've been through a lot here in Michigan. We've been through crisis before, where the country needed their countrymen and countrywomen to pitch in collectively to get through a crisis and rise to the occasion. Michigan once was the arsenal of democracy to win World War II. We need that same spirit now. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals and first responders to stop the spread and to save lives. But we need your help too. The state has launched a new volunteer website at www.michigan.gov forward slash fight COVID-19 where trained medical professionals can register to serve their fellow Michiganders by assisting hospitals in fighting COVID-19. State residents can also use the site to find out how they can help in their local communities by giving blood or donating resources or needed medical supplies. Whether you're a medical professional looking to volunteer or you're someone who can give blood or donate to your local food bank, everyone can help out. To get through this, we must all do our part. Stay home, stay safe, and save lives. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. Program.com
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. More with spaceflight historian Amy Shearer Title straight ahead. There's nothing that kind of freaks me out more than the idea of doing a spacewalk somewhere between the Earth and the Moon, which they did on the last three Apollo missions. I mean, you look down and it's black, and your brain tells you that's a giant gaping hole that I'm going to fall into, even though logically you know that's not what's going to happen. So how do you keep panic at bay, and how do you keep things so that, you know, space madness or whatever doesn't sink in? And the more I started thinking about about the astronauts, when I realized that there's all these things we can learn. We can learn how to trust trust what we're being told, trust the research, do everything in our power to trust the teams around us, you know, the, the doctors who are giving us all of this advice, and to stay connected with people and to just keep in touch so that we maintain, you know, stay grounded throughout all this. That's an important point about trusting the science, because this mm-hmm. is a time when people don't trust elected officials, they don't trust yeah. law enforcement, they don't trust science, which is kind of a, a new phenomenon. Um, and I had this conversation with uh, Carl Sagan's wife recently, and, oh. you know, it's, it's, um, it's and, and I'm wondering if, if you have the ability and if, if what you're trying to do is to get people to look at astronauts who have historically been American heroes and if it's okay for them to do this stuff and trust this kind of advice, it's okay for us. That maybe there's a little bit more trust for astronauts and their discipline than the advice we're getting from competent professionals, frankly. Yeah, I mean, there is an, in- an interesting analogy there. You know, even though we just kind of discussed how the astronauts and those test pilots were the macho kind of flouted the rules a little bit, at the end of the day, they were all military pilots. And that military discipline was actually one of the reasons why they were thought to be a good first group of astronauts, because if something went wrong, they had to follow orders to a T. And even for all of their rule breaking, for all of their bravado, they were following mission rules to the letter with, you know, a couple of very minor exceptions. Um, so the, the idea is, yeah, you know, you can, we can take lessons from them, but also kind of look at the, the greater structure of, of the astronaut corps in the space program at the time and think like, yeah, they, they trusted what they were being told. They trusted their teams and they did what they had to do because they had to get the job done. We're all in a similar situation of we, you know, we have to kind of curb our, our activities and kind of, change some of our behaviors to get the job done of helping eradicate this thing and helping the entire world move through it. You know, it's not just the, the minor inconvenience of not eating in restaurants for some of us it has such a huge impact potentially on the entire planet that to follow these rules and to just trust the discipline of it is, is a good lesson to learn right now. And, and being retaught about hand washing. You know, yes, it seems exactly. like such a silly thing, and and we yeah. don't, you know, we don't think of uh, of an astronaut, you know, climbing back into a, a a capsule after walking on the moon and scrubbing up. Yeah, I mean, it was it was important, you know, in in that instance, you know, lunar lunar regolith is these little little particles of dust that aren't weathered, so they're very sharp and they actually stick to things. I once played with some simulated lunar regolith. And it got into every single nook and cranny and your fingerprints. It was wild. And all of a sudden, I, I really appreciated how hard it was to stay clean. But 
you know, if that gets into your instrumentation, you have a big problem. So the idea of trying to keep everything as clean as possible, but also, you know, basic human sanitation of how do you use a washroom in a way that doesn't expose you to harmful bacteria? Because if you get sick in space, you, you can't just, you know, pop home and go to the doctor. You have to manage with what you have on board. So a lot of kind of basic things that a lot of us don't really think about because we're so used to, you know, touching an elevator button and scratching your nose. You never think about it. All of a sudden, we have to be more aware of some of these these uh, natural behaviors and just be a little bit more mindful of what we do. A lot of people have been tremendously inconvenienced. You mentioned not being able to go to restaurants and clubs and, and sporting events. And and the list goes on and on. I was talking with somebody earlier this morning about, um, you know, how all of the events this summer have been canceled, you know, big festivals and things that people do every year. And, yeah. and all of a sudden it's like there's nothing to do for some people. Now, I was kind of lucky. I, back in January, I closed down my studio, moved all my studio gear home, and was planning to do my show from home. So in March, mm-hmm. when, it all, uh, when it all stopped, um, I, I was still doing what I was planning to do all along. So it wasn't an inconvenience for me the way it was for some people. But I really feel for people. And you talk about, um, in you've identified six astronaut-tested tips for navigating the unknown. And I think it's important to to underscore that phrase, navigating the unknown. Um, Because we keep hearing the pandemic uh, condition um, being referred to as this time of uncertainty. So mm-hmm. let's let's look at those those six uh, those six tips. Is you say prepare like an astronaut? Yeah, and in this in this instance, it's really you know we don't totally know what we're in for. So what can we do to prepare? You know whether it's well. You know, for, let me let me people, ask you this: Do astronauts yeah. hoard toilet paper? <laughs> they definitely <laughs> do not. That was. <laughs> Yeah, that's definitely not a thing that uh, astronauts have to do. Um, I don't know how much toilet paper they necessarily have on board these days, but uh, it's definitely, you know, the thing with spaceflight is uh, mass is premium, and you want to keep your mass as low as possible so your rocket gets off the ground. They're definitely not stacking it with rolls and rolls of toilet paper because that'll add up eventually. But, um, you know, for, for us preparing, you know, you mentioned, you know, not being able to go to festivals and stuff and you know, for, for some people, that's the, the inconvenience of not having a weekend away. For other people, that's not being able to work. You know, I know a lot of people who, right. who work in kind of concert promotion and stuff. And sure. It's, for preparing, it's as much, you know, what do you need to be safe at home in terms of food? But what can you also do to get creative to make money in this time where your, your job is more out in the world and suddenly you can't be out in the world as much? Um, and to, to kind of get creative, to prepare, I've seen a lot of people doing live stream concerts and, you know, the people who do, you know, stuff with sound on stage are now doing it virtually or, you know, somehow managing the live stream, people kind of getting creative, preparing to stay in a situation that's not ideal and not your norm as best as possible is kind of the best way you can prepare. And it's very much like astronauts not totally knowing what you're going to do. Every mission rule was kind of best guess for, you know, these first early orbital Mercury missions where, like, let's just do suborbital 15 minutes and just 
you know, hope that this goes well so we can push it a little bit further the next time, push it further the next time. It's, you know, we're, we have to kind of expect things to be difficult, but also understand that it's temporary. And you also say uh, that it's important to stay calm. Staying calm, I think, is very important, especially now. I mean, it doesn't take a lot for some people to feel the stress of this. And this is, you know, there's so much background stress permeating everything right now. I think a lot of people are just feeling that. Astronauts have a ton of stuff going on. I mean, I always, whenever I think about this, I think of Apollo 13 and how much was going wrong on that mission. <laughs> right. I mean, literally everything. We've all seen this brilliant movie, and it's, it's a pretty fantastic, very true-to-life uh, almost uh, Hollywoodization of that story. Um, you know, the only thing that was actually false in that movie was that they, they didn't fight nearly as much slash at all. You know, um, they stayed calm because if you panic, you make bad decisions. If you are able to kind of keep yourself grounded and stay calm, you can think logically and trust your trust yourself, trust the people that you're working with and the people around you to make the right decisions that will get you through this. So, you know, for us, it's trusting that, you know, Okay, you know, what if, whether, however you feel about masks, just wear the mask. Just trust that it's helping and doing, everyone doing their little bit is helping. And just stay calm about it. Don't get exercised about things that you don't need to be exercised about. And I think that's, that's a really good thing to, you know, manage your mental health and just to kind of take those moments to, to be okay, to be okay for now. And, you know, I would, I would kind of like to interject that, that, Keeping a good humor or a good sense of humor yeah. is really important to staying calm, and it's difficult to do when you're when you're worried and you don't know what's yeah. coming. Yeah, no, that is an excellent point, and I think that's you know finding ways right now to have fun is is challenging, and I think on some days it feels almost wrong, like you shouldn't do something that's fun in the midst of everything that's going on in the world right now but sometimes you need that release to allow you to continue going through something that's really difficult and you know however you find those little bits of fun you know getting into an old hobby from your childhood um i you know some people are getting really creative with fun masks i mean just finding those little moments of joy i think is really important for helping us you know all raise morale all around and and feel feel better for being in this thing together because we are all in this together it feels so isolating with everyone kind of you know more at home but we're all in this together and we touched on this a, a little bit amy um you said uh you say that like um tip three is sanitize like an astronaut yeah um because you really don't want to get sick in space. So NASA, especially in the in the earlier Apollo era, was very very firm on some of these things. Um, you know, and they still actually NASA still quarantines its astronauts for two weeks before a flight because that's roughly the time it takes for for most germs to kind of show themselves. And you really don't even want to cold in space because you know without gravity, your head cavity doesn't drain and it gets pretty bad pretty quick. So. Um, you know, the, the idea of just kind of trying to eliminate as many uh, introductions of negative things into your system is something astronauts have to do, especially leading up to a mission and keeping things clean on board. You know, you're, you're using a, a bathroom in an area that you can't really ventilate super well. It is ventilated, but, you know, it's still quite enclosed. <laughs> um, so I think for all of us now, it's just the idea of breaking some of the habits of, 
you know, eating at the drive-through when you've been touching the gas pump on your way there or something. It's these things that we don't necessarily think about because it hasn't been an issue. All of a sudden, you know, just be a little bit more m- mindful about these things and, you know, try not to introduce these unknown p- potential unknown elements into your into your system. And and uh, you were talking about how intense the sanitation is uh, before flights, even robotic missions. And and I, I was yeah. kind of hooked on this phrase. What's more, all um, no no the, the phrase is we don't want to land on Mars and find that some little Earth germ <laughs> stuck around and will kill the life we're hoping to find. Um, yeah. So Planetary there's protection is a big thing. <laughs> but 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 that actually is is a real good companion to this yeah. notion of wearing masks, not necessarily just not to get the disease, but not to potentially spread it to other people or make other people yeah. sick. And and then the other thing is I, I really wanted to un- underline that life we're hoping to find. Um, as as a as a spaceflight historian, are you um, of the belief that that we're going to find life out there, if not on Mars somewhere? Yeah, I, I'm not sure that Mars is where we should be looking. I'm I'm personally more interested in Saturn's moon Titan and Jupiter's moon Europa. They both have very chemically interest. Uh, Titan is very chemically similar to primordial Earth, so there's some thought that you know potentially there could be a very early life form there um we've only landed once at the huygens probe in i think 2005 so you know a lot of research to do and europa has huge subsurface oceans under an ice layer and um you know could could be that there's something living in that water we don't know there's a europa mission in planning right now but uh again these things are it's so hard to get to these outer planets moons um and to figure out how to do the best science from a very long way away. But I think there's, there's more interesting places to look than Mars because we've been on Mars for a long time and haven't found it yet. But um, yeah, I think there's, I mean, I think there's definitely life out there. I, I don't think it's going to enslave humanity, um, you know, like in the movies. I think more likely whether it's in our solar system or not, there's, the odds are there has to be some bacterial something somewhere. Now, whether we'll ever find it, who knows? Because, you know, when you when you look at a distant planet, you're actually also looking back in time because of the light time delay of it reaching you. So you'd have to catch a planet at the right point in its own development to have life and to have it be something that is that you can actually see the signal of, whether it's a biochemical signal or, you know, what we're what everybody kind of dreams of from Hollywood is the the radio signal beaming something to us, but you know there's a lot of variables <laughs> looking for life on other planets yeah i'm I'm still anxious to to get some postcards from whoever's out there listening to Chuck Berry <laughs> right <laughs> yeah uh, the uh the fourth tip is um stay connected like an astronaut. Mm-hmm. This one, this I thought of this because I've again looking at the Apollo missions as much as I do. I always really liked that every morning, I should say morning for the crew because sometimes it was two p.m. in Houston. The day started with a very kind of slow, like we're going over the events for the day. Well, we have breakfast, and they also read up news headlines and sports scores and updates of the crew's 
kids at summer camp or from school. And there was just this really nice, I always found it to be this really nice moment of humanity that you're doing this incredible thing of flying to the moon or you're in orbit to the moon, but you're catching up on, you know, little Jimmy A's vegetables or something. I mean, some of these updates were just so little things from home that let you or let them stay connected. And I thought about that, that as we're all kind of in our own little isolation, to, to find those ways to stay connected to our friends and catch up, even on the mundane things, so that we have that feeling of normalcy. And we're so lucky that we have so much technology that promotes that. You know, we can do video chats. We have text messaging that's instantaneous almost around the world. It's such a great time to, you know, reconnect with friends who maybe you don't match with because of time zones, because we're all home now. We can find that common time to actually sit down and have a prolonged coffee over Skype. And, you know, maintaining that normalcy, I think, is really important. You know, like you said earlier, if, if, having a sense of humor about things and still finding ways to lighten the mood. It's, it's another way of kind of keeping us calm and keeping us feeling like this is weird, but it's still okay weird. I think it's a very important thing to do. And, you know, I think about the, uh, the Spanish flu pandemic, which was the last time we had something mm-hmm. as, as globally invasive as this uh, pandemic has been. And it dragged on for about three years. And I, I was reading some of the postings from newspapers of the day that were very much like the ones we've been hearing, you know, stay so many feet apart and uh, stay in if you don't have to go out and um, know all these meetings and uh, um, event venues were closed and things were canceled mm-hmm. and businesses shut down. And I thought, what must it have been like in 1918 without Zoom and yeah. Skype and, yeah. you know, texting and, and all of that to feel connected to other people and it dragged down for about three years yeah i mean we are i, I had this, this conversation i've actually had this conversation with a couple of friends that how lucky are we to have a pandemic now with modern technology because i i love this, this is such a weird example but tiger king that show on netflix became such a, a huge <laughs> phenomenon because we were all home to watch it to the point where they did a reunion special all by Skype because everybody was home watching it. Like that we were all still able to share in a weird media event from the comfort of our own homes. I mean, it is a really great time to be able to watch movies with friends, even from a distance to connect. You know, I've had family, family uh, gatherings over holidays of, you know, more people in a Zoom call than we've ever been able to get in a physical space because we're so spread out. It's actually, there's a nice, almost silver lining to it of people are more willing to be connected through odd ways and, and reconnecting and, and finding new ways to visit with people. And and then somewhat on the flip side, you talk about uh, turning off some of the media and spending more real time with with family and significant others uh um yeah under under the heading of um staying in the moment like an astronaut yeah that's something that i i've always thought was really interesting and um this this idea kind of occurred to me um if you know his name bruce mccandless there's a very famous picture of him floating about 300 feet away from a space shuttle with a, a jetpack, a manned maneuvering unit. And it's the furthest a human has ever gone from the safety of a spacecraft to test this thing. And that picture has always freaked me out because he's so alone. 
And I actually had a chance to meet him and ask him if he, what he felt in that moment. And he told me, what I wanted to do was turn around, turn away from the spacecraft, shut off my comms for just a minute, and just be alone and be in that moment. But NASA kept talking to me that I forgot. <laughs> and I thought that's such a, such a funny way for that story to end and also so kind of exactly what you'd expect for a, you know, a big mission event. But I just loved his idea of wanting to stay in that moment and just take a second to realize that how incredible that position was. Now, we're not in the incredible position of doing a spacewalk and testing cool new tech that NASA never eventually developed fully. But, um, you know, we are in a situation to, to, to sit with things, whether it's by ourselves and, you know, for the introspection because you, you have fewer distractions or whether it's to, to connect with friends and, you know, really realize how important some friendships are and make sure to maintain that, to realize that even as things are kind of chaotic and so unknown and so scary right now, that you have these incredible people in your life or you've done something that still needs to be celebrated even if you can't go out and have a party that there are still things happening you know births are still happening people are still getting married a lot of those things are they don't stop and we shouldn't not celebrate them because of the current situation we should take the time to really appreciate those moments right now and and then finally um Tip six is look toward the future like an astronaut. And that seems especially tough to grapple with when we're so uncertain about how long this will go on and what the what the future looks like, what the new normal will be. Yeah. All of these things are these that's the true unknown. Yeah. I think it's so easy right now to kind of fall into this, you know, thinking gaping pit of despair and just think, you know, who knows, and just almost want to give up because it's so hard to think, what what is this possibly going to look like? I mean, how even if we, we do get out of this soon and there's a vaccine in the spring, you know, how comfortable are we going to feel going to movies, going to concerts? You know, is how much this is going to have a, a, an echo for a long time, I think. But Letting your, I think letting yourself fall into that kind of headspace is so so damaging, and, and you need to kind of get out of that and think, well, how great is it going to be when we can do these things, when we can go out and see friends and not have to worry so much? And, um, you know, again, to use the analogy of Apollo 13, it's not like they were on that crew thinking, well, we're dead, so we might as well just stop doing anything. I've, I've met two of the crew members and both of them told me that they had utmost faith and confidence in the ground crew to solve the problem and they just maintained work and just did everything they could. And I thought that is such an interesting thing to apply now that, you know, we have to, we have to move forward. We can't just give up. We have to think about the day where we'll be sitting outside on a patio, just like, you know, how they envisioned we will open this spacecraft and breathe fresh air again. And, you know, not giving up that hope is so important in so many facets of life, and I think it's something that we all need to bear in mind right now. And and it's interesting how, how closely that relates to staying in the moment, because one moment leads to another to another, and that's essentially how the future unfolds. Yeah. Yep. More with spaceflight historian Amy Shearer Title straight ahead. <laughs> Show. Oh, yeah. 
Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck up. If you are sick with COVID-19 or think you might have it, take steps to help protect other people from getting sick. Stay home except to get medical care. Call the doctor before visiting. Separate yourself from others who live with you. Wear a mask to protect others. Cover your coughs and sneezes with a tissue and clean your hands right away. Avoid sharing items with other people in your home. This includes things like towels and bedding. Be sure dishes are washed in hot water or the dishwasher before anyone else uses them. Stay aware of how you feel. If you start to have difficulty breathing or if you are worried about your health, call your doctor. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490.
Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. The Tom Sumner Program.com. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with spaceflight historian Amy Shira Title straight ahead. Yeah, I think just now, because there's so much uncertainty, there's there's a lot to be said for you know, not keeping, keeping the worry about what the next event is at bay. You know, I, I live in California. I mean, you get earthquakes randomly, and it's just like, seriously, we have another one, but you can't keep sitting and, you know, hunkering on the floor waiting for the next one to hit. You drive yourself crazy. So, you know, stay, stay grounded in that moment, but also just expect there to be a challenge, but also that challenge will eventually end. And that's, you know, that, that kind of sums up early, early space missions. You don't know what's happening, but it'll you'll get through it all, and you'll get you'll get you'll you'll come out having accomplished a lot on the other end. And and other things keep happening, uh, you know, hurricanes. You mentioned earthquakes. There are fires all over California and and the western part of the country. Yeah. Um, you know, this stuff still goes on and still happens, and so you have to to kind of um, address what's right in front of you. Yeah, I think keeping, sometimes you just have to have those little moments of levity amid everything to, to keep yourself going through that, and that's, that's okay. Now, we just kind of breezed by the fact that you're one of a very few women that <laughs> is a space flight historian, and I, I, I want to just unpack that a little bit, Amy. Um, what got you interested in space flight and and the history of space flight yeah um when i was in the second grade i did a school project on venus and i just thought it was the coolest thing ever that it was this this planet that's roughly the same size of the earth it's pretty close to us but it's you know 800 and some degrees on the surface it's hugely toxic but you can also see it in the night sky or morning sky depending on you know where it is in orbit without binoculars and I just thought this is the coolest thing I've ever heard in my tiny seven-year-old brain and I, I you know devoured all these books about space and just the planets and I opened a book once one day to um, a two-page spread about the moon and there was a little cartoon of two astronauts in front of a lunar module and I'm from Canada so didn't grow up with NASA being everywhere and it was the first time I'd ever heard of the moon landings at least that I remember. And I just looked at that picture and thought, people went to the moon? Why was I not informed? And I just, I became obsessed with trying to understand, like, who they were, how they did it, why they did it, and just learning everything. And, like, with so many big, uh, big technologies, big events, the more questions you ask and the more you dig, the bigger the answer gets. So my seven-year-old curiosity about the moon landing has just turned into this lifelong fascination <laughs> with unpacking bits and pieces of the space program and getting into early aviation, early rocketry, and sci-fi life, and all the things that were somehow connected because so much happened in that post-war technological explosion that led to the space age that it's, it's, it's just such a rich, fascinating history that I've just be- become so enamored with. Amy, you're probably too young to, to appreciate this reference, but my, my favorite uh, lunar cartoon is the one with two astronauts standing next to a woman's body. She's in a flowered dress, and and uh, the caption reads, "Hey, look, it's Alice Cramden." 
That is definitely one that I, I can't appreciate. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so to put it in context, and, and you have to be a certain age to get this, the, old, the very old classic television show, The Honeymooners, Ralph Cramden yeah. was always threatening his wife, oh, Alice, one of the these moon. days, Alice, <laughs> pow, right to the moon. And yeah. here are these two oh, astronauts, and they're going, hey, look, it's Alice Cramden. Um, I didn't know her last name, but I do know the reference. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, and it's one of those things that, you, you know, you almost have to have been immersed in the television show right. because they don't explain it at all. It's just one guy says yeah. to the other, hey, look, it's Alice Cramden. Anyway, that's yeah. uh, that's one of my favorites. Um, as As explosive as the... The, the 50 years following World War II were for NASA and the space program and just the explosion of, of new technology and information and new missions and projects. Um, and then it just seemed to kind of die off. Um, what do you think uh, can we expect going forward with space exploration, and how important is it to quality of life on Earth? It's a lot more important than people realize. Um, you know, I think the, the space the space race era of kind of the 60s into the mid-70s um, is so unique. It was kind of just the perfect alignment of exciting new technology, plenty of money for it, and then the Cold War that made it something that was of national and international importance. You know, uh, NASA got funding in the mid-60s on a level that we have not seen anything close to since. Um, but the, the spin-off technologies that came out of that and that continued to come out of that because NASA and, and contractors are still actually using Apollo-era research because they had so much money to do so much stuff. Um, you know, not only are we continuing to use that research, but so many uh, contractors and subcontractors developed things for the space age. This is, you know, from the 60s through the 80s, 90s, that um, they end up spinning off into things that we use every day. And it's from, from the really intense, very cool technologies. Um, LASIK, the very precise laser that is used for LASIK surgery, actually came as an offshoot of line of sight orbital rendezvous um, technology with with lasers that have to be incredibly precise to make sure the spacecraft elements are actually getting in the perfect alignment for that docking. So, you know, you wouldn't necessarily, everyone knows LASIK, it's very accessible to people, um, but you don't know that it comes from space. To very mundane things like the shapes of trucks were actually honed by NASA engineers in the 70s to make them more aerodynamic and more fuel efficient by extension because an engineer almost got blown off his bike as a truck passed him on his way to work one day. And he thought there's no reason there should be this much buffeting air around a truck. So the, the, and, and that actually ended up feeding into space shuttle research, which is so interesting. So there's actually a huge amount of that technology that feeds into our daily lives that we don't even know comes from NASA. And it's so important to keep it funded and to keep it going. Um, you know, unfortunately, it's just we, we look at the, the, search for life or the, the human element of it as kind of the peak, but there's so much more that NASA does that is still really important. And yet so so many of, uh, so much of our new technology, whether it's microwave ovens or uh, uh, voice-activated uh, communi- uh, communications uh, and, and uh, computer interfacing, 
and cell phone technology all looks like stuff from Star Trek. Yeah, there's definitely <laughs> the the over or intersection between real space and fake space or sci fi space. Um, you know, people come up with this idea and then. The, the engineers are like, well, that's actually really cool. Could we make this real? And then they do, or they make a version of it. Um, it's, it's really, it's so interesting how science fiction really does inform science fact and, and vice versa. You know, there, there's a fun interplay between the two, for sure. Well, I, I'm having so much fun talking with you, Amy. I'm, I'm sad to say our time is up, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you, about what we've been talking about, about the book. Um, do you have a uh, website? I do. My website is just my name. It's amyshiratitle.com. And you can also find me across social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as just Amy Shira Title. And Fighting for Space is available everywhere books are sold. It's an ebook, an audiobook, as narrated by me, as well as a hardcover. So, I bet yeah. that was fun doing the audio version. You know, I learned a lot. I learned that I speak extremely fast. <laughs> um, but it was really, I've, I've had really good feedback from people who, because I do have a YouTube, I should mention my YouTube channel as well, called The Vintage Space. Um, because I do have a known voice because of the YouTube channel, I've gotten great feedback of people who liked having me narrate it. So it was, it was an interesting thing to do, and it was, uh, it was actually really fun, and I'm really, really happy that I was given the opportunity to do it this time. Well, Amy, thank you so much for spending this time with me, and best of luck with the book and uh, all of your other writing and uh, and projects. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was lovely to chat with you. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. That was uh, spaceflight historian Amy Shearer Title. She is uh, a public speaker, popular science writer, and the author of uh, Fighting for Space, Two Pilots, and Their Historic Battle for Female Spaceflight. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Now, when a virus comes along that's spreading like a plague, and POTUS and his lackeys have been nothing if not vague, well then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well, and you want to bid our free society farewell there is a super bad transmittable contagious awful virus and if we don't act quick and social distance it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine that lasts until july a super bad transmittable contagious awful virus and if you got a better cough in your arm, and if you got a better... <coughs> now, back in 1918, influenza had its run. But half the docks were busy overseas with World War I. Today we have mass media and scientists to say, if you don't want this virus, well then stay six feet away. Super damn important that we practice isolation, because we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation. We'll overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation. It's super damn important that we practice isolation. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart. Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start. If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised. Who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized. Oh, super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. If we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us. In a stretch of quarantine, the last until July. Oh, super bad, transmittable. Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful.
Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.